Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 173. Little town, it's a quiet village, every day like the draft before. I, I, hi, Julius. <laughs> I've left you speechless that time. <laughs> you did, yes. How How are you doing? I'm doing well enough, Albert, and you? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, not much going on here. <laughs> this is, I believe this is the, the last recording before the summer of Uve ends, because I believe next week will be fall. Albert, I, I don't know how to respond to that comment <laughs> being that we did two Uve Roseburg games during your summer of Uve. Yes. But nonetheless, it comes to a close now. Right. I hope I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Well, instead, I think that we're going to talk about something entirely different today. We're going to talk about <laughs> villagers. All right. Okay. And I'm going to let you read the name of the artist illustrator in this one. Uh, I was not ready. Okay. So the designer is Hakan Garder. Oh, okay. The artist is also Hakan Garder. And the publisher is Sinister Fish Games. I need more. This artist, Hakan Gardner, the the reason why I bring it up and probably mispronounce the name is because he has a very distinct art style that I think we'll get to later. But I want to make sure to mention that specifically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's worth pointing out because I really like the art, by the way. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So as we always right. do, Albert, mm-hmm. why don't we go ahead and start with a nice summary of the game? Yeah, all right. So so this game is about growing a village from from the ground up you start with just a small few settlers and over time more people are going to come join your village and it's going to come grow up to be a big bustling town and that's what the game is about it's basically a tableau building game uh, where you're building up all your nice efficient workers Mm -hmm. and it's basically what it is it's you know we'll get to later in the gameplay i guess but it's you know draft a card (laughs) play a card (laughs) it's a perfect summary for us albert Let's yes. start with the rules. What are your thoughts about the rules? Um, I Well, I got mixed feelings about them. They're well laid out. They're very clean and organized and all that. I I found them hard to follow. I do, I'm not sure why, but I, I really did not always feel as clear. I, I, I'm not sure if it's me or the rules, honestly. But I did not find them easy to, to figure out. And, you know, I had to sit there and focus on it and, and really work to understand it perfectly. Um. Interesting. The other thing about the rules is the book is tall and skinny because it's a long, skinny, like a card box, like a, like say the, um, like card. The actual box, box they use looks like yes. a single card, a, a box for a single row of cards because the game is primarily a card game. But because of that choice of box size, it's somewhat limited them in a number of other selections that they can make with other aspects of the game. One of them mm-hmm. is the, the rules layout, I suppose. Because they had to make it fit that box. So it's a thin and tall rule book with the exception of a couple pages where you have to turn the rules on their side in order to be able to read them. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's probably like a a three and a half inch wide rule book and 10 inches tall, eight or 10 inches tall. Something like that. (laughs) I think it's eight inches. Something like that. Mm -hmm. 
personally, I, like, we'll probably get to that when we get back to components about the box size, but I think that was a fine decision to make. Um, I do think that's a good idea for a game that is so much cards like this one. But it does mean that there's a little bit of awkwardness that comes out through the rules and having how you have to break up the rules. Because some of the rules do get broken up a little bit differently than I think would be most convenient. I don't think it caused me the troubles that perhaps Albert is referencing. I'm not really sure what issues Albert had, but every time when you get to a page, you're like, okay, now in order to read the page, rotate the rules. I'm like, <laughs> I see that this wasn't ideal. <laughs> let's, let's, I suppose, go for it. I think that they probably could have redesigned some of the graphic design of the rules to better account for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but I think that it's it's in general. I think it's okay. There is one perhaps awkward part of the rules, which perhaps we'll get through in gameplay mechanics, which had to teach about the differences between what happens when you're playing in the two-player version of the game, as opposed to in higher counts or definitely in solo. Solo plays entirely differently and essentially has its own rules addendum at the end, as we see from any solo games and probably Albert is going to dislike. And I personally don't think it's that bad, but it was awkward that two players has a special rules exceptions on how to play it. I know that the designer of this game has said that for his next release game streets, they wanted to make sure that they wouldn't run into that kind of issue. Um, so they made sure that you didn't have a difference between two players and the player counts in their later games. But this one definitely has that difference, which for me has always made sure that this is a game where I always have to have the reference card out to make sure that I'm playing it with the correct rules for two players versus three to four or even five players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know, they would, they would have uh, done themselves a big favor if they, instead of trying to print the rules in two columns in here, just like, you know, the normal book has page with text on the left and a page with text on the right. If they just spread it across both pages, I don't agree. A wider text. I think it would have been easier to follow. Cause again, that narrow layout makes, makes it more cramped feeling. I I don't agree. You definitely, you can't take, you can't take words that go over a cut like that because the words won't line up. Hmm. Well, maybe if they'd done the whole rule book sideways like that setup page. I, yeah, I don't no, know. I think I would have been driven insane by that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the book could have been improved either way. I mean, it's, it is fine. It, I'm, maybe I'm nitpicking here. Um, in terms of finding the rules confusing, I, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe the the way the drafting works and all that just, I don't know, didn't come across easily for me. It, yeah. And don't get me wrong, it's not terribly complex. This is not a complex game by any stretch. Not really. Um, it's relatively simple. And it's a short rule book. Um, it just, for some reason, felt like it was more work to learn it than than what it should have been for, for what the game is. I hear. But, yeah. Let's go on to the theme then, Albert. What were your mm-hmm. feelings on the theme? Um. So I like, you know, <laughs> there's not much theme there, honestly, but I like it. <laughs> there's it's, it's no a, theme at all. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, it's life in a medieval village, right? And you got all your different workers and all the people that you might find in a village. Exactly, um, it's a village, and that's all it is, really. And the entire theme is the character on the card and their title. I mean, <laughs> th- this is your this is a really standard village game. There's there's a village, and you're having to build it. There's no theme. There's no like depth to the characters. Even once you start to introduce that, maybe there's some sort of story involved in the um, the countess character that comes up for the solo, which 
could have maybe even been a story opportunity or some deeper theme about what this countess is doing or something like that but it's really not there's not a whole lot of uniqueness to it and even with many of the different types i mean you have they're they're all pretty standard there's no like witticisms or anything particularly memorable about any of the cards perhaps the art style as a whole makes this memorable but the theme definitely mm-hmm. doesn't make it memorable it's it's a very forgettable theme yeah there's no flavor text or anything so yeah it's typical typical medieval type game very snoozy very snoozy theme mm-hmm. so yeah um components then there's not much else to say about the theme I think not. I think in the components is where we're <laughs> going to actually have a chance to talk a fair bit more about what's in the game. Because in components, I think we also have the chance to talk about graphic design, gameplay, cards, things like that. Um, let's talk about some of the more basic things. Essentially, the majority of the game is going to be built up in the cards. You have the basic villagers, which are going to be a set of card, stacks of cards that are off to the side. And then you're going to have a, essentially a single deck of card that is then split up into multiple decks and laid out over the street. And those are all going to be the other villagers. And all of these cards are very nicely illustrated cards. They all have a very unique design. And I think that the graphic design on all of them also quickly lends themselves to be able to see what's going on, how to use them, how the different cards interact. And the symbols They're all very bright, vivid, clear, easy-to-read symbols, things like that. For the things that aren't easy to read, such as the name of padlock-related cards, things like that, usually those are only going to be really relevant when they're in your hand. You're not going to need to know those once they're on the table, so the fact that it's a slightly smaller text is not such a big thing. So I think that the graphic design and the art style, those things, that really makes the game a lot more memorable, even though the theme itself isn't because it's such a unique and in my opinion very beautiful art design it's not it's not standard it's not very humanistic but the the style and how they put the game together looks really nice um mm-hmm, yeah I, I totally agree with it I, I really like the style of art I like the layout of the cards the icons are simple and clear and and it's generally well laid out my, my one complaint is there's a a key ring icon that's a key on a ring and it took me forever to figure out what they're talking about because the ring is shaped like a card, which is clever because it has to do with how many cards there are in the de- in the game of that type. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took me forever to figure out it was a key ring. I wish somewhere it said it. I think it actually has an icon's Does reference it? that tells oh, that yeah. to you. Oh, in the back of the rule book, maybe? I think so. Whoever looks at the back. Whoever but, looks at yeah. the back. <laughs> I suppose. Once I get to the one-player rules, I stop looking. I don't know where it might be, but e- either way, again, it's it's pretty clear. That's the one thing. It wasn't entirely clear what the shape is, so whenever I find the reference to the key ring, it takes me a while to realize what they mean. Mm-hmm. But there aren't that many things I could be talking about, so it isn't. And we're going to talk more about unlocking, which is, I think, one of the unique gameplay aspects mm-hmm. of the game, and we'll get back to that in the next section about gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the components, the the other thing worth mentioning, you know, we already said it comes in a long skinny box, right? It's, it's basically wide enough for the cards. Mm-hmm. Slightly wider because I, the the cardboard punch out things were in in there on the sides, mm-hmm. um, but the it brings some nice sturdy cardboard dividers too, which are pretty well laid out. I love the way they did this because the 
there's like five or six dividers and each divider tells you exactly which cards go in that section so it makes it really easy to keep it organized and, and put the game away and set it up later mm-hmm. and again i think that having the box be designed like this they could have also done two rows and had a more normal size box but if you have a lot of card games on your shelf i suppose this is a very nice simple box size to use for storage on your shelves it doesn't really match any other size type of box but i'm a fan of it i think it looks pretty nice yeah i agree yeah it it doesn't match anything else i have which always bugs me but uh, then again they're coming out with another game right and that might be the same box size. it is the same box size deliberately Ah, there you go Um, (laughs) okay one other aspect i want to talk about which are the coins um Mm -hmm. they have these coins and the it's it's seven different coin size types uh, ranging from I think it's one to a hundred, and they've—I mm-hmm. mean, you, you obviously you have the ability to just read it if you want. They've tried to come up with a basic idea of an iconography in order to be able to guess which ones they are and which ones they aren't by the color and the shading and things like that. These coins are <laughs> are really really bland. Like you compare them with. I can't even think of any other game which took blandness to this degree. There's no, (laughs) there's no elements to it that suggest that these are actual real coins. Like I can pair with some other games in my collection that the coins themselves are sort of demonstrative of the idea that this is an immersive world and that there's more to this. These coins are saying, Hey, we know you need to count money. Here's a method of counting money. (laughs) <laughs> yeah they're, they're very bland there there's a just a number in a circle that's all it is yeah. um but i guess i mean these, these are villagers these are not well-to-do people you know salt of the earth sort of thing they don't got time i mean even for, salt for of the money. earth people fancy money like <laughs> fancy money is something the government prints that you know they would put something on the government for it and, <laughs> yeah i guess so. but i mean it, it it's true like when you have coins in many other games these sort of things are indicative of a of a broader world and I mean, I suppose that you know, it's cost saving to not invest in making nice looking coins or to make coins that actually look like there's a broader world here, but they didn't try. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, what they are is they're functional. Yes, that and that's it. Mm-hmm. I believe that has covered. Oh, and there's also just to make sure that we're mentioning it, there are a separate set of event cards and countess cards for playing the solo version game. Again, just more cards and similar arts art design. Yep, and that, that's it for the components. Really, it's just cards, 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 tokens, and rulebook. Sure. Let's go ahead and do a bigger summary for how the gameplay works for this game. Um, the game is divided into different phases. There's first going to be draft phases and then build phases. And then over the course of the game, there's going to be two market phases which are going to interrupt those. In the draft phase, what happens is that all the players, and this is true even in solo, all the players are going to be drafting villagers from the street, which is a row of available workers on the table, or available villagers, rather, on the table. And you're drafting villagers, you're taking them into your hand, and you're going to hold on to them. Then during the build phase, you're going to have the opportunity to play villagers from your hand into your village. When you're playing them into your village, you have a couple rules that you have to follow. Um, you're, the, the first rule that you're going to have to follow when you're actually playing the villagers is 
all the villagers are going to be played in what's called production chains, where you have to start with one of the various different type of basic villagers. If you don't have a basic villager out, um, in addition to what in addition to one of your regular builds, you can pitch a card from your hand and instead play a basic villager to your village. And then you build production chains off of that basic villager, starting from that basic villager, and you'll continue on down the line based on whatever production chain it is. So for example, a, the only way, excuse me, the only way to play a, I think it's like a bed maker is you have to have a hair first, and then you play a bed maker onto it. And, and all of many of the cards, at least, will continue to build on them and have bigger and bigger effects if you're able to find all of the cards that you need to in the production chain before. The mm -hmm. second rule that you have to follow when you're doing the build phase is that you have to follow these locks. Many of the cards will be unlocked by other things. So, for example, if yeah, you want to It's basically a technology be, tree, isn't it? It's kind of like a technology yeah. tree. Um, yeah. In order to be able to... it's not, I, I'm not sure it is. But in order to be able to play some cards you have to pay an unlock value to the card that unlocked it um so as an example if you want to be able to play a poulterer you have to first have a carpenter out and you'll put two gold on that carpenter if you don't have a carpenter out, you have to pay two gold to another player's carpenter. If nobody has one out, you have to pay it to the bank, essentially licensing it from some random carpenter out in the world. Yeah. And so you're right. So it's not a technology tree because you're never restricted for building the person. You could definitely build a card even if nobody has the prerequisite. Um, it's just who gets paid. What is mm -hmm. the impact? And sometimes you'll have to pay other players in order to be able to use theirs. So there's sort of a trick for how you want to use those unlocking. And the key ring that Albert was talking to, some villagers unlock a whole lot of things, and their primary value is in the fact that they'll continue to get paid. For example, the blacksmith is one that's a main thing, and they'll have a key ring symbol, which, as Albert mentioned, is a key square symbol. Um, <laughs> And that'll show you how many different things they can unlock. And that's the benefit of putting that one out. Primarily, it's not to earn money itself, but it's to earn money based on other things can be paid to unlock it. Exactly. For example, like the brewer could unlock two. I think the uh, the woodworking guy can probably do eight or ten different mm -hmm. other professions. So you'll continue doing this alternating between this draft and build phase until some of the stacks on the road are empty. So the the... As you're taking cards on the street, you're filling from the standby deck, which is called the road, and you'll continue filling that onto the street. When some of the stacks on the road are emptied, it's going to trigger a market phase. During the market phase, you'll earn gold and then later silver based on how many things it's unlocked, so how much money is actually on it, and based on any silver values that it is. So some cards won't give you money or abilities immediately. They'll only earn during market phase. So it's to your goal to try and play them essentially as close to the market phase as you can, while at the same time balancing all your different other goals to make sure that the best market card cards are up there when you're doing them. Um, then you'll continue on. You'll have a you'll continue drafting until two market phases happen. At the end of the second market phase, that's going to end the game, and you'll see whoever has the most gold will be the winner. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's it. Pretty, pretty straightforward and pretty simple. I think for me, probably the main two really unique things this has over other draft games. And I, when I say draft, I mean that you're drafting from a shared card row, sort of like, um, sort of like in star realms or something. Star realms. Thank you, Albert. Sort of like in star realms, um, where you have that shared market row that all the players are choosing from to build from their own tableau. So just in that regard, it doesn't really have a lot different than other games. What I think makes this unique is first that idea of the production chains that you have to gauge when you want to invest in something, how you want to do it. And a lot of that helps as you really learn a better idea of what cards are coming out and you have more experience in the game, which can be a little bit of a detriment for those who are learning early on that may not know to try and invest in some of the earlier games. For example, some of the best cards can come out of the Graper which is a basic villager that you can only get out of the deck. But getting all the way through the Grapener to the Vintner to the Winemaker, these are cards that can give you a lot of value if you manage to get all the various pieces out at a time. But other players can start to see that you're trying to get out various pieces of it, and they may themselves pitch or play earlier parts of it to try and block you from getting to the full production chain. So I think that's an interesting thing to be able to play with. Albert, what do you think about the production mm-hmm. chains? Yeah, I, I like the production chain. I, I do like the idea where where the cards become more valuable because you've drafted the cards that preceded already. And that, that makes it interesting. Um, I also like that building the, the, the three basic villagers that you set up to the side already, not the ones that are in the deck. Um to get those you actually have to pay them by discarding a card from your hand so it gets interesting because you, you may be holding on to a valuable card and may need to discard it later at some point because you, you haven't built it yet because the time isn't right because you're waiting for other things to show up first that you need and you end up maybe deciding oh i may need to discard it so that i could uh get my basic villager and, and i find that making that choice interesting also because when you discard it it goes back to the road you still have a chance of getting it back but you also have a chance of losing it and uh, we didn't mention it, but all the cards, there's there's basically like four or five suits, right? The And they're tied to the, the basic villagers, right? The, the mining suit is black. The lumberjack, the wood suit is green. The, the hay suit is purple. And the grape suit is pink. And then there's also a brown suit that's a... Solitary. Th- these are villagers that... Solitary, yeah. There's no, you don't stack them. They don't, they don't have production chains. Um, and then there's also a special suit, which I there's don't also the wool and leather suit. I wonder if you've played much of oh, that. Oh, I have not used those because that's for four or more players. That's for four or more players. Solitaire yeah. and two player, yeah. Which I feel is a shame because they're oh. interesting. I'd like to be able to try and see all the card, all of the aspects of the game, but because those are only in four player plus games there's not really a way of subbing in or out to try and use those differently. I suppose maybe you can swap out some for the Graper. I'm not even quite sure, but officially if you're not playing a four plus game, they're out of the game. There's nothing you can do to be able to use those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, which is a shame. I agree. I would like to try them out at some point. It has not happened. <laughs> and it's not going to happen during coronavirus. That is definitely true. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, so I do I do like the drafting. It's interesting. There's another thing we didn't talk about is the number of cards you draft is two each round, right? You go around, I draft one, you draft one, I draft a second. Well, you can draft, draft more by getting more food icons yes. or build icons. 
there's a few there's a few icons that if you build the right villagers, it lets you draft an extra card up to a total of five in the round. Mm-hmm. So you have the opportunity to draft more, which is obviously a nice thing because because that gives you more cards to work with. And there's also a villager that if you get him, he has a little house icon. If you have him, then you could build more cards during the build phase, which we haven't talked about yet. Well, no, we, no, we did talk about it. We have talked about the build phase. We have. I know what I'm saying. Well, so, thing- so those yeah. are pretty neat. But then there's also a drawback to that because there's a, a limited number of cards in the game that you set up on the road. If you're drawing more cards, the game's going to end faster. And I find it's an interesting balance between ending the game quickly and uh, or, or going slower and taking your time. Well, I think if anyone's going fast, you kind of need to keep going fast. Because and, yes, you and you have to do it. If everybody goes slow, it's fine. But if somebody speeds up, you have to speed up to catch up. Um, another interesting thing for this game, something else I felt was very unique for it, was this idea of a padlock, where sometimes you'll have to pay other players in order to be able to play a card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole, the whole key ring thing. That, that is interesting. That is neat, because... It makes some some valuable some of the work is valuable because you're going to get some money from them later, mm-hmm. and it's they're more valuable early on than later on because there's two scoring phases, right? There's two market phases, and if you have money on them on the first phase already, you're going to get paid twice for that. It's different than a lot of games with a card that generates income. Most cards that generate income just generate income at certain intervals. They just generally uh, generate income. This is an income generation tool, which is player controlled. It generates income every time specific types of cards are played. And you can push that to generate more income yourself for it. Other players can uh, can also, to a degree, either push or restrict it in or by playing those cards. And similarly, if because by playing those cards you can try and close down other people from their tree because they don't want to pay you or force them to take actions so that they don't have to pay you but it takes an interesting twist on how income normally does by putting a lot more control of income in player hands again that's something i don't think you usually see and it's an interesting thing to have done for this game another thing i do really enjoy is the the solitary workers um, because they have a lot more interesting ways of scoring um all, all the the, the other suits that we talked about, they generally score. They'll give you gold for for having that worker. Just a flat number, say 5 or 10 or 20, whatever it happens to be. Um, and some will give you money by unlocking other workers. But the the solitary ones tend to do things a lot more than the other suits. It, the other suits do some of this too. Like they'll say, oh, you'll get resources for each food icon you have, which is what lets you draft more cards. Or you'll get extra resources for each house or, or things like that. And I found I really enjoyed the, the solitary workers as a suit. And so each suit does feel a little bit different. There is one t- suit of villagers, which is not available on the solo game, which are the red special villagers. Um, some of the special villagers will let you entirely break gameplay elements of the game by not having to pay unlock values or by doubling something else or by letting you skip production chains or steal other people's production chains, mm. they can have all sorts of different effects. When you're playing solo, these the red special cards are taken out, and generally for myself, I just take them out as they pop up in the street. Mm-hmm. Same here. It's easier that way. Mm-hmm. But they have all sorts of different types of things they can do. I'm not sure. I understand how as a gameplay need that they're there and sort of they feel like escape buttons that if you've drafted something and it hasn't gone quite well for you 
then you can use some of the special villagers to swap out something. They're also more interactive, right? None of the other cards really mm-hmm. ever talk about the other player other than the the unlocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but these tend to do things like let you take a worker from another person, for example. And I think that there even are some official variants to use more or less interactive versions. I think there's even a Kickstarter deluxe version that lets you play very interactive and really mess with other people and stab them and things like that. These are very interactive and they can mess with people. Mm -hmm. When a whole lot of the game is, is so much less interactive, it's interesting to have this very interactive, very mess with type element in there. So so we already said they, these don't work in the solo game. Let's talk about the solo game a little bit. Because it, it's, it's not that different, right? It's basically the same as a two-player game. Um, you're not going to have the specials in there, and you're not going to have the the four more player suits in there. The What's different is you're now playing against the Countess. Um, and she's a villain that is going to be much richer than you and win the game every time you play. <laughs> oh, Albert. <laughs> he's, that's he's, that's Albert. my experience. <laughs> So, so what, what's, what she does is she's basically going to be your opponent in a two-player game. She doesn't work like a normal person. She doesn't buy draft cards or build like you do. Um, the way she drafts is every time you draft a card, you then have to give her a card from the, the road to her. Um, and you get to choose which card you give her. So you could choose the card that you think is the least helpful for her. But it basically, and that card that she drafted goes straight into her build tableau. She doesn't have to try and build it. It just it becomes automatically built. Every time she drafts, she automatically builds it. Yeah. She doesn't keep and a hand. She doesn't keep a hand. And keep in mind that you're never going to build all your cards because because some of the cards you're going to use, you're going to have to pay spend for basic villagers or because you're just never going to get to build them all because you're going to run out of building opportunities for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So she's going to have more cards than you. And you're trying to basically game it so that her cards are not as good as your cards in the end when you total up the scores. Um, so that's one thing that's different. The other thing that happens is she has uh, event cards. There's a summer event deck and a winter event deck, and they're pretty small decks. They're like 10 or 15 cards each. I'm not sure exactly. And at the beginning of the game, you're going to have one summer card out. And after the build phase, after you've built your card, yep, then she's going to go and do the event, which is generally going to be something bad for you. Some of them are going to put money on her cards, maybe let her draft extra cards or do different things. Some of them will hurt you. Um, there's one or two that you have to give her one of your cards, for example. But she will, you'll do whatever it says on, the card, on that card, and then she will draft a card from the top of the deck, and it goes straight into her tableau. And the card you drafted, depending on the gold mount on that card, tells you how many events show up the next turn. It could be anywhere between one or three. Um, and so you're going to be playing like this solo, built playing like normal, and constantly giving her more and more cards to her massive city of a tableau. Um, I'm going to play through the game like normal to the normal ending, and at the ending, you're going to tally up your score and you're going to tally up her score. Well, there is there is the events. Yes. So we mentioned the events. They're going to there's going to be between one and three events every round after you finish building. And I believe after you finish building, but before the scoring, during those scoring. Yes. Um, so that's basically how it works. It, it's really similar. Um, you're not having to build for her like normal, which is nice. makes it a little bit easier. You only have to worry about 
choosing which cards you want her to get when you're what doing gives her the, draft the least phase. benefit. Mm-hmm. So you're you're making some choices, which is nice. It's not just going through and doing stuff automatically, and you know, just following an AI or something. You're here actually deciding what works best for you or, or at least good for her, which and is you nice. Only win if you have more gold than her. Yeah, which, like I said, is hard. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. I haven't played solo too much, honestly, but I haven't beat her. The um, what what I don't like about this though is that her tableau gets pretty darn big by the end of the game. Uh, when I played the other day, she had something like twenty cards, maybe, in her tableau. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it's it's quite big. And trying to figure out what card to give her, I think, could be a little more challenging. The more cards there are, because there's cards that you could give her that will say, if, I don't know, for example, score score three gold for each two wood icons that you have. So now I have to go through and count all her wood icons to see if that's a good card for her or not, for me to give her or not. So I, so I didn't like that too much about the solo game. It's it's more, it's a lot more figuring out all that math. It it is more to figure out all that math, but I would certainly prefer it over just take one at random and trying to beat something random. For example, comparing mm-hmm. to Isle of Cat, Cats, where the one that is being drafted against you is always just something random. You can't really predict what it's going to be. With this one, you have a lot of control. And as I mentioned before, when you have control, you give yourself the opportunity to try and think smart. And you, you it's because of your skill that you can really gain a lot of success in the game. I think that even though it mm-hmm. does require extra time to think about which one is it going to take, I think that it's beneficial to be able to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It does make the game more interesting. And one, one, what I do like about the solitaire variant is that it has real simple rules for for changing the difficulty, which is change how many event cards you draw for her each turn. It says in the easier version or the intro version, just draw one event card regardless of what card she drafted from the deck each round. Um, mm-hmm. And and those events are always bad for you. So the fewer you draw, the better. And if it's you're finding it too easy then just draw an extra card or two. So yeah, so that's a solo game compared to you know the multiplayer game. Um so so final thoughts? For me, I really do enjoy the game. I think that it plays well multiplayer and I think it plays well solo. I'm a fan of the art style. I think that was one of the things that really drew me to the game. And when I'm enjoying looking at the game, I generally enjoy playing the game more. With this one, the gameplay does not disappoint. There's a lot of opportunity for intelligent play. There's a lot of opportunity to think well about what you're doing. And that's really even highlighted more when you're playing solo, where having more knowledge of the cards lets you predict more accurately what sort of stuff you want to be giving the Countess and how you want to react to it. So because everything builds on itself, because of the unique aspects of building those production, it doesn't overtire your brain too much. And it's a game that I feel like I can succeed at. It's a game that I feel like I can do well at, which means that it's a game that I'm enjoying. So I do give it a strong thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Um, I I like the multiplayer game and I like the solo game. I I don't like the solo game as much as the multiplayer game, for sure. It, it was okay. I, I felt the, the math, figuring out her, her cards and all that, just it was a little more work than I wanted to deal with. It's not too bad, but it's a little more work. I do like the whole process of, of the chains and, and building the cards and figuring out what cards to get. That's very satisfying. And I think there's multiple paths of victory in this game. You know, you could use different suits and whatnot. The 
I do not think I would get this game strictly for solo play. I would only get it if it's, I'm going to play it multiplayer also. Because I, I don't think the solitaire game is strong enough to, to justify it. I'm not sure I can agree. Mm-hmm. But I really like it them both. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you, it sounds like you like the game more than I do. Now, yeah. There's also expansions for the game, but they're not... There are... There are various ones that were included as part of the Kickstarter deluxe boxes. Um, You actually can currently, he is doing, at at the time of recording this, he is doing a new Kickstarter for his next game, Streets, uh, which is going to be another drafting and group building type thing. Um, But because of that, or perhaps in honor of that, the expansion for villagers is available from his website with currently free shipping if you are interested in getting the expansion i don't think the expansion gives a lot of value for solo so if you're looking for it for solo purposes i don't really think you need to do it in fact as i recall you can't use any of the expansion stuff with the solo it's not designed or balanced for it you can perhaps play some of it not quite sure but yeah, I don't. I don't think it supports solo either really well. Though one of the things you get is a, a box that has, for example, fancy coins. Uh you don't. I don't think that's even available anymore. Oh, I see it on the website. Oh, is it right now? Yeah. Okay, could be. I do not have the fancy coins. Oh no, I have out just, of stock. I just have regular cardboard coins, and I think that's perfectly fine for me. They're bland anyway. <laughs> I don't need to blink <laughs> out bl- uh, pretty bland components, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, the fancy bland. Yeah, you you turn <laughs> you turn bland printed cardboard into bland printed wood. I uh, just don't need that. <laughs> yeah, oh, but gosh. I do think that the expansion is worth it for playing um, multiplayer. I think that especially the development expansion is worth it for multiplayer. But for a solo podcast, you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, oh, this is neat. The the expansion you could get the bundle for thirty pounds. Um, and it brings a uh, a few different suits that I hadn't seen before. Yes, um, some of the existing suits and some wooden tokens, including a, a wooden chicken for the start player. <laughs> yes, and two other nice wooden buildings. Those are cool looking. Man, it's tempting. I ended up getting a a rubber chicken from the craft store, an, <laughs> or a nice PVC chicken, not rubber. I I have the deluxe, so I have the wood chicken. Oh, fancy. Okay, my chicken That's is wood. Neat. Uh, mine's just PVC. <laughs> <laughs> With that, everyone, I hope everyone has a good night and enjoy your village. That's right. Thanks for listening. Good night. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.